welcome to True to the Bible Podcast with Hunter Davis. Thanks again for joining us for our next lesson in the Heart of Philippians with Adam Barnes. In today's lesson, we'll be going over Philippians 1, 12 through 14, and we'll be seeing faithfulness manifested. We can take direct application as Paul talks about his circumstances and his situation and how it really served to advance the gospel. And we can remember God's promises and be of good courage and live by faith. Well, we hope that you enjoy this lesson. Thanks again for joining us for True to the Bible podcast. All right. So this one I called Faithfulness Manifested. Faithfulness Manifested. And the reason I called it that is because we're going to see Paul is a manifestation of faithfulness in this situation. And these verses don't seem that profound. It's just three little verses, 12, 13, and 14. But they help us to demonstrate Paul's mindset what makes him tick in the middle of what we might consider a frustrating circumstance. And we're going to see how um, his mindset manifests itself as faithfulness. And that has powerful implications for us, or it should if we let it. And so that's why we've entitled it that. So let's read the passage real quick, and then we'll get to the point and go over some other things. He says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So here's the point. And I I like doing this. You know that I like doing this up front. This is where we want everything to land. If what we talk about today doesn't match up with this, then we're not doing it right. So here's the point. The Apostle Paul's motivation came from a variety of factors. Okay, before his conversion, this is when he was Saul, he understood and knew God, but he failed to acknowledge Jesus as the promised Messiah. You guys know that about him. He was a persecutor of the church. He didn't recognize Jesus as Messiah, and so he wanted to go wrangle up all the Christians. However, Jesus opened up Paul's eyes on the road to Damascus, and for him, the final piece of the puzzle fell into place. Paul's understanding changed, his knowledge changed, and because it changed, his life changed. This is cool. Some of you may not know this, but did you know that he was trained by the post-incarnate Jesus? He didn't get his message from man. What he says in Galatians, he got it directly from Jesus, which is pretty cool. He went out to the wilderness and got trained by Jesus. And he was never the same afterwards. Paul gained a healthy focus on the bottom line objective for his life. And I say healthy focus because a lot of the things that he writes in this book don't seem healthy. It sounds kind of crazy for him to say for me to live as Christ and to die as game, but I don't know which to choose. I'm hard-pressed from both directions because I have the desire to go and be with Christ, but to remain on this flesh is more necessary for your sake. But it was a healthy mindset, and because of that healthy mindset, he had an appropriate perspective. We're going to see that doubt, fear, and timidity can be replaced with a peace and a confidence to face the circumstances of life. And an acceptance of the truth, these truths that even though not all things are good, God is working them out for good in His glory. I think that's imperative for us to have the appropriate perspective. So here's the outline and the goals. You can see what we're going to go through. And we'll get through the questions to consider here in a second. We'll do an introduction and review. We'll see Paul's situational report and his attitude. Uh, I called section 3.5 unhindered because in Acts 28, Luke even says the same thing. Even though he was in prison for two years, he was able to preach the gospel unhindered, which is crazy to think about. 
Then we're going to deal with courage and fear. We're going to see that he kept his eye on the prize and what that application is for us. We'll go through a summary. We'll do our application, and we'll talk about the test. So here's our goal. At the end of this lesson, I want you to be able to understand Paul's circumstances as he writes to the Philippians. We've already beat on it a little bit for the first two lessons, but we're going to get a full and complete picture of what he's going through as he writes. And as we study, I want you guys to do this part. I want you to analyze for yourself Paul's mindset as he writes to the Philippians. Think about what he's writing and how these circumstances are affecting the words that he's writing. Then we're going to consider God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. What is sovereignty? What is sovereignty? He's in, the, he's in charge. Not just in charge, but he's also in control. And because Paul had a perfect understanding of what it meant for God to be in control, it affected his mindset. So we're going to consider that. Then we're going to think about God's promises and we're going to be comforted by them. When you think about what God promises and, and then you buy into those promises, there's comfort there. That's, what he's, that's really what he's talking about later in chapter 4 when he says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. Then the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds. That's what he's talking about. And then we want to be motivated to speak and live at the word of God without fear. So here's some questions to think about. What was Paul's purpose and his mission after his conversion? We're going to read a little bit about it. What is the connection between Paul's purpose and the circumstances he mentions in Philippians 1? What role did the Philippians have in Paul's circumstances? How was Paul able to speak favorably about his situation and rejoice? And then one for you to think about for your lives. Do you have the courage to speak the word of God without fear? Because if you don't, it's all correctable. If you say, yeah, I'm not comfortable, we can fix that. You can. You can fix it. All right, introduction and review. So as Paul writes, he's establishing these themes, and he builds on the points that he makes throughout this letter. So in the first couple of lessons, he's established already rejoicing, participation. He's going to build on those a little bit. And we're taking the same foundational blocks that he's using and adding them to our understanding so that we can rightly divide the word. In Philippi, Paul began what would become a long and fruitful relationship with this body of believers. We've seen that. How long was the time difference between the letter and the time that he went there the first time? Yeah, it's about a decade. It's been almost 10 years, and they've been given the whole time. This is his, during his second missionary journey, the Holy Spirit directs him to Philippi. Remember that God directly intervened, uh, meaning that he took an active role. That's important, because when God does something actively, when he reaches into humanity, he's doing it for a purpose. He took Paul and his companions to Philippi and Macedonia. Acts actually says that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And that they tried to go north and the Spirit didn't permit them to go there either. God directly took them to Philippians. Uh, because Paul got a dream from this guy in Macedonia telling him to come over here. And he establishes the first church on European soil, meets Lydia, that group of people. And this is where the special bond and the connection with that Philippian church began. Uh, and because they were faithful to participate. And you guys already told me, you know why. They were financially providing. That's part of their participation. They were doing it right from the start. 
and that had that whole idea of fellowship and participation. So 10 years after the establishment of the Church of Philippi, here we come to Paul being arrested. So I want to take a minute, it's important today, to read this. Maybe some of you guys have read it, maybe you haven't, but open up your Bibles to Acts 28. It's the last chapter of Acts. And we're going to get the picture a little bit more context of what Paul's going through. So let's start in verse 16. Go down to verse 16. Luke writes and he says, When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. Who do you think that was? What do you think that soldier's a member of? Praetorian guard. Yeah, it's the Praetorian Guard that he's talking about today. We're going to skip a little bit, but I'll just give you the cliff's notes. Paul gets the Jewish leaders together, and he talks to them. He says, look, I don't have, there was no grounds for me to be in prison. I didn't do anything to do it to anybody, but I got thrown in jail anyway. He goes, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, so I got brought here to Jerusalem. And they said, oh, we haven't heard anything about you. In verse 21, he says, we, never, we haven't received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and report or spoke anything bad about you, but we do desire to hear what your views are. We want to hear your theology. For concerning this sect, what's that? What's the sect? Christianity. Christianity. It's the way. For concerning the sect, it's known to us that it's spoken against everywhere. So they're basically saying, we don't have anything against you, but we've got to hear these views because we know that nobody agrees with them. When they had set for a day, Paul came in his large... They came in large numbers, and he was explaining to them solemnly by testifying about the kingdom of God, not just about faith in Christ, but the kingdom of God, from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Paul was educated. He knew the law. Don't forget that he was a Pharisee. He knew his stuff. So he spends all day taking them back through the Old Testament, trying to show these Jews that Jesus is the Christ. And when they did not agree with one another, oh, wait, wait, verse 24, I love that. Some were being persuaded by the things that were spoken, but others would not believe. So some of the Jews were like, oh, we miss Jesus. Some of them might have been the ones that killed him. They were persuaded by Paul, what Paul was saying. And when they didn't agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul spoke in this last parting word when he says, the Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers, saying, go to this people and say, you'll keep on hearing, but you won't understand. You'll keep on seeing, but you're not going to perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears. And understand with their heart return. And I would heal them. So what this is saying is Paul was like, this is you. This is you guys. I'm giving it to you clearly. I just reasoned with you and showed you how Jesus is the Messiah. And a whole bunch of them got up and left. Because they didn't like his message. They didn't like it. And then look what he says, the summary in verse 28. He says to these Jews, Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has also been sent to the Gentiles. That wouldn't have sat well with them. And they will listen. And they will listen. <laughs> when he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves. They didn't like it. They were God's chosen people. And Paul just said... <coughs> Excuse me, I don't know what that is. <coughs> he said, the message, you guys missed it. You killed Jesus. Now you're not even listening to what I'm telling you about him. So I'm going to go to the Gentiles. 
They didn't like it. Then look at verse 30. And he stayed for how long? Two years. In his own, what kind of quarters? Where did he get the money to rent that? The Philippians. I think so. I think that he was supported. His own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him. Preaching the kingdom of God. Again, Luke differentiates here between the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. That's funny. That should be funny because he's in jail. But he's unhindered. And that's what Paul says when he says, I want you to know that my circumstances have actually turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. i got to tell you, it had to feel good for him. He spent a lot of time going from place to place, getting chased, beaten, stoned, in arguments. It had to be it had to take a physical toll on somebody. At what point he's got a snake on his hand, he can't get it off. Now God's bringing people to him in his own rented quarters. That's got to feel pretty good. Okay. <clears throat> I don't know what all you have yet on your notes. I think I took a lot out so we can get done. But we're going to look at Paul today. And when I, when I think about Paul, I think about a guy who understood his purpose and his mission. And he was faithful for his life to count for Christ. That's why I asked this question. Paul was the opposite of this. He was faithful for his life to count for Christ. And he says later on in this book, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. That pattern is his faithfulness. Paul's life counted for Christ and every single action that he took met that purpose. That's integrity of purpose. But so much of our sect doesn't. Their words don't meet their actions. In a sense, we become like Pharisees, do what we say but not what we do. Because we don't activate. We don't live out our faith. For all these reasons. For all those reasons. His entire purpose was to take the gospel message but he's in jail. And those circumstances from a human standpoint, they don't add up. It doesn't make sense based on our logic that Paul would rejoice, that he would be joyful, and that he would say these circumstances have actually turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. How can he say that? And what about the implication for us? What, for, what about for you and me? Is it possible for us to rejoice no matter what our circumstances are? Is it possible for us to rejoice when we're burned out and tired, when we're too busy, when our priorities are bad, when we when timid timidity or fear take over. What about things when things come up that you don't like or that you didn't plan for? Or there are things that are scary or things that you don't think is fair. Can you rejoice and remain faithful to your purpose? It all goes back to perspective. And Paul had the right perspective because of what he knew, because of the foundational building blocks that he rested his perspective on, he was able to rejoice and to say some of these weird things or from our standpoint, some of the weird things that he says. So as we get started, before we look at this situational report, I want you to observe and think about Paul's mindset from his situation up to this point. 
the more that you read in Philippians, the further we get into this study, and really the rest of the epistles in general, the more that you're going to realize that Paul has these little certain mental building blocks that shape how he looks at life. His perspective in any circumstances are based on these foundational truths. First, he recognizes his purpose in Christ. Paul recognizes his purpose in Christ. Anybody know what 1 Corinthians 1.17 says? For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Perfect. And not in cleverness of speech that the cross of Christ would not be made void. He says that I don't need to do this cute because I don't want to take away from the cross of Christ. I didn't come to baptize you. He actually tells him right before this verse, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you, so stop arguing about it because that's not what I came for. I came to preach to cross. In Colossians, he says, I was, this is a gospel. I was made a minister of this church to preach the gospel. Paul's purpose was to take the, we're going to see in just a minute, but his purpose was to take the gospel to the world. Two, he reflects on God's sovereignty. He reflects on God's sovereignty. So we said that God is not just, he's the boss, and that he's powerful, but God's in control. I'm working through this with one of my daughters right now. This is a big thing to grasp. It's one thing to say it, to hear it roll around in your mind and say, yeah, God's sovereign. God's in control, God's in control, God's in control. It's another thing to trust in that fact. It's another thing that when these circumstances don't look good and something's wrong, to say that I know that God's working all things out according to the counsel of His will. I know that He's working all things together for good. I know that He'll never leave us or forsake us. I know that He's with us even till the end of the age. All these things are important for Christians to understand that even unto death, He's in control. He's in control. He's sovereign. Colossians 1 says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, the things that are visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And in him all things hold together. Think about that statement. Not only did he create everything, the stuff you can sense and the stuff you can't sense, but in him all things hold together. That sovereign power that we don't understand, but that we can rest in, that we can trust in. Three, he recalls God's promises. This may mean something different than what you think. So I put a whole bunch of little verses down there that you can go look. Paul gets lots of promises in Acts. We're going to look at them here in just a second. But if Jesus came to me and said, hey, I'm going to send you and you're going to talk to these people, these people, and these people. I know that I'm good no matter what happens in my life. Until I've checked all those boxes, I'm good. And Paul's in the middle of that right now. He says, you're going to go talk to the Gentiles, and you're going to talk to the Jews, you're going to talk to kings. You're going to suffer for my sake. That helps frame his perspective. He has a confidence based on what Jesus told him. Spoiler alert that the application for us is God's told us a bunch of stuff too. He's given us his word and he's made us a bunch of promises that we can rest in and that we can trust in. We'll talk about it. Finally, this is my favorite one. Paul remembers the finish line. He knows that there's a finish line. So if you, I taught this in a girl group a few months ago 
But one of my favorite movies growing up uh, was Kelly's Heroes. I was raised on World War II movies. If you haven't seen it, Clint Eastwood and Telly Savalas and these guys are a bunch of soldiers. They have bad leadership. They're stuck. And, and they go and try to get some German intel. They get this guy and bring him across back to the line. He's carrying a gold bar. And so they get this guy drunk and they make him tell him where the gold's at. So they basically abdicate. They leave from under their leadership and they're like, we're going to get this gold this bank. And there comes this point to where they're crossing a minefield and for the first time some of these guys that chose to follow Clint Eastwood through this die. And two of the guys die of the, of the people who decided to go look for this gold. And some people were starting to question it and doubt it. And this guy says, what have you talked us into? And Clint Eastwood says, put your belly aching and remember what's at the end of the line. He doesn't use the word belly aching. <laughs> he says, quit your complaining and remember what's at the end of the line. Same thing for us. When we come up against this stuff in life and it doesn't seem like it's going right, and we say, that's not what I signed up for. I don't want persecution. I don't want trials. I don't want tribulation. For Paul, just like for us, remember what's at the end of the line. Because there's plenty of scripture. 2 Timothy 2.11 If we endure, we will reign with him. In James it says that if you persevere, there's reward in that. So remember what's at the end of the line. Because someday, just as sure as I'm sitting here talking to you, you're going to have a conversation with Jesus. And based on what you've done in this body, He's going to reward you for what you've done. That should motivate you. That shouldn't be scary. That's a good thing. For the time that you're pouring into your kids, to the time that you're building up one another in the body, all that stuff has an impact. And it's going to have a result. And dependent on that result, how effective you are in doing that, you're going to get rewarded. We're going to reign with him if we endure through this stuff. It may not be persecution like they're facing. We're not getting thrown in jail yet. But this is hard. Some of this stuff is real, and it's hard to endure through. <clears throat> so remember what's at the end of the line. So let's look at this situational report. We'll pick it up here in verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. For the greater progress of the gospel. So what were his circumstances? Where is he? He's in? He's in prison. You can put prison or Rome. Rome. Yeah, you can put both of them. So he's in prison. He's in Rome. That helps us to start thinking about things. Because that's part of his context, part of this circumstance. Because, two, he's staying by himself in his own rented quarters, remember? He didn't have to stay in a crowded room. He's just him and a Praetorian guard. He's staying by himself except for a soldier guarding him. And the best that we can tell, Paige actually, the first week said, how many of those, she texted, how many of those Praetorian guard do you think there were? And it really depended on who the emperor was. But during this time, they're estimating that it could be up to 10,000, as little as 3,000, probably somewhere in between. That's a lot of soldiers. They're rotating. <laughs> and you know, you know Paul. <laughs> you know, not only are they having to listen to him address to the Jews and the other people who are serving with him in ministry, they're probably having to listen to him pray. And they're probably getting direct conversation with him as well. Three, Paul is preaching to people coming in and out of his quarters. We saw it here in Acts 28. All the leaders of the Jews in Rome show up at his house. 
and he teaches them. But we also know that people like Epaphroditus came in and out with letters. In Colossians, we meet a guy named Epaphras who's do, who does the same thing. So these people who are fellowshipping or participating in ministry with him are also coming in and out of his house with letters, with exhortations, probably with some direct teaching. And then number four, he does this for two full years. For two full years, Paul preached unhindered. Unhindered. Why do you think they let him do that? I mean, you wouldn't think that someone who's in prison is now is going to get to rent a house and stay there with a guard and be able to still do all this. Uh, yeah, that's a, good, that's a good question. It could be because he had money. It could be because... Uh, well, we know that the real answer is because God's sovereign. He worked it out that way. But the practical human reason that they let him do that, I'm not sure. I think it's because he appealed to Caesar. And Caesar's docket may have just been that long. Because we're going to see later in a little bit. He, he actually prays and says... He passively asks for the Philippians to pray for them that he would be bold when he goes before Caesar, that he wouldn't shrink back from saying the stuff that he needs to say. Because I think he's a little bit afraid because he knows that he's going to die. So I'm not sure. But we do know that Philippians had sent Epaphroditus with this gift and at least a verbal report of how things were going in Philippi to Paul. Because in these first 11 verses that we've already looked at, Paul thanks the Philippians. He tells them how much he loves them. He prays for them. He's confident the Lord's going to use them in their work until the day of Christ. And then right before today's passage, he shared a desire for them to abound in love and wisdom. That's the decision-making progression we looked at last week. And now he's going to begin the situation for it. And I put it here in bold because it's so important to think about that rather than concentrating on the physical restrictions enforced on him by pre-imprisonment, Paul focuses his attention on God's faithfulness to bless his ministry. Because he's going to say, you know what, all these people are the whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else. And so many of these people have believed. And because of that, the gospel message is enjoying a greater um, spread than it would if I wouldn't have been here. That's a pretty cool perspective to take. And it's not, I, I think it's more than just practical. I think it's more than Paul just seeing it happen. I think Paul knew it was going to happen. I don't have any question. I think the reason that he kept on doing his ministry while he was in prison was because he knew this had the potential to happen, and it did. I mean, think about that. Think, of, think that you're Paul. You got taught by Jesus. You basically got prophecy from God, from Jesus saying, I'm going to send you to kings. I'm going to send you to the Jews. I'm going to send you to Gentiles. I'm going to show you how much you're, you're going to suffer for my sake. So that's you. You've got that vision. By the way, you also met Jesus on the road to Damascus who blinded you and converted you. And then you get thrown in prison. Well, and maybe also you had a glimpse of heaven at one time. Too. Uh, yeah, he was still yeah. You see something, of, seen something of the ultimate destination of what? Of the, yeah. I, I agree, 100%. So he says he, he, he knows a man. He says that he was caught up into a third heaven. We think that's Paul. And so he sees, he has all this information. Uh, in a sense, it takes away a little bit because he has all this information that we don't. And that's why scripture says, blessed is he see who has faith without belief, or has faith without seeing. Paul saw. You're right. And that motivated him. And now he's still in prison, though. 
So you have all this information. You've seen it. You've heard it. You believe it. But now you're thrown in prison. What do you do? Do you think he's like, this is going to be cool? I know. I know that whatever God's doing, he's working it out. He didn't do this for a reason. Because he's not sitting there wringing his hands, thinking, oh, no, 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 I'm in trouble. Because he had to be preaching. He got all the Jewish leaders together, preaches to them. He's, he's active. He's activating himself in these quarters. He's writing letters to you know, Philemon, Ephesians, to Philippians, to Colossians. And these are just the ones we have. We know that there's letters that he wrote that we don't have. But Paul's activated. He's doing stuff, even despite these circumstances, where it would be easy for him to say, well, I don't know what God's doing. I'll just kick up my heels and relax here for a couple of years until I get in front of Caesar. But he doesn't do that. Yes, I, don't, I don't know that his circumstances here might have been better than when he was in Caesarea. I think they were. Because it doesn't seem like he had to access the people there that he yeah, maybe I, does here. I agree. I think you're right. I think it's a I think it's better. I think it's a better situation because he's not he doesn't have the physical toil. He doesn't have the physical labor. People are coming to him. It's I think it might be better. It might be better. Well we know it is, because we know that the, the gospel message spread more here than it would have if he wasn't there. Does this letter say who's writing this down? Yeah, it starts out by saying Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus. But there's none of those uh, there's none of those references to look at what big letters I write or anything like that. I, I think that Timothy Timothy's probably writing it. But I don't know for Well, I, I just wonder if he's sitting there chained to a, a soldier and here he's he's telling Dictating, and somebody's writing, and this guy's the soldier's hearing all of this, right? And then, then there's probably a change of guard, and then somebody else is going to hear it too. Yep, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Be pretty cool to see. One day we can ask him. So, what was Paul's purpose after his conversion? You guys know this, but I wanted to put it in here just to be clear. And I also want—I always put these little side references so that you can go read it because it's pretty cool to see it in Acts. But we know from Acts 9, 15, and 16, this is the, his first conversion, the first time his, his conversion is accounted for in Acts. But he says to, I don't, know, uh, I don't remember what the guy's name was, but to proclaim the message to the Gentiles. Okay, he was going to have to go proclaim the message to the Gentiles. What's a Gentile? Anyone other than a Jew? Yeah, any non-Jew. The world that's not a Jew. So if you don't have Jewish blood, you're a Gentile. Paul's often called the apostle to the Gentiles, even though he also went to the Jews. But Peter pretty much only went to the Jews. Two, to proclaim the gospel message to kings and rulers. God told him that he was going to have to go take the message to kings. We know that he went to Felix. We know he went to Festus. We know he went to Agrippa by name. But there's reference or probably implication he also stood before Nero. We know that at some point he had to stand before Caesar because he appealed to Caesar. Acts doesn't tell us. It ends in chapter 28 with him waiting to talk to Caesar. And then three, to proclaim the gospel message to the Jews. We just read that account. But often, Paul starts in the synagogues. He'll go to a town, and the first place he'll go is to a synagogue. Why do you think he did that? 
because the Jews didn't believe in Christ as the Messiah. Yeah, the Jews wouldn't definitely wouldn't have accepted Christ as Messiah, but neither would the Gentiles. So why do you think specifically he loved them so much? He was one of them. I think that's part of it. Like, why did he go to them first? Yeah. Don't you think that's low-hanging fruit? I they think knew the is. story already. Say what? They, yes, they knew the that's story my point. Yeah, they, they Jews knew scripture. They just missed it. They just didn't they just didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah. And so it always says that he would reason from them from the law, from the scripture, trying to prove to them that this is Jesus. And they were looking for the Messiah. And they were always looking for it. For a Gentile, keep in mind, they there's no Bible. All they have is the Old Testament. That's all Jewish book. So if you're a Gentile, you don't even know the backstory. You don't know about Abraham or Moses or David or Solomon or Elisha, Elijah or Joseph or Adam or Eve. You don't know any of that stuff. That's why he makes it simple in Philippi with that jailer. What must I do to be saved? Believe the Lord Jesus will be saved. Okay. <laughs> with the Jews, he starts back in Egypt. You know that our fathers came over. He starts there and goes all the way down and tracks the seed all the way through because they would have understood that. Well, also, they're God's chosen people, so it's like they would be the first ones like to be honored to receive the message. Bingo. Didn't Jesus say that? What did Jesus say to the Gentile woman? Got to feed the dogs first. Or got to feed the people at the table. Yeah. Got to feed the people before he feeds the dogs. That's that Romans one sixteen verse you guys know, but if you ever wondered why it says... I'm not saying the gospel for power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. You gotta feed the people at the table before you feed the dogs. We're just the dogs. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. Because guess what? We're gonna get an inheritance. We're gonna get an inheritance. Well, the kids off the table don't want their food anyway. That's exactly right. <laughs> they rejected the bread of life. That's comforting. I'm glad. I'm actually had Jewish blood in me though, so at least my dad says we do. But anyway, that's interesting to think about. Alright. So his purpose was to take the gospel message, something he knew immediately after his conversion. I want to make sure to hit on that continuously. Because it's an important application for us. What are the two questions that Paul asked of Jesus when God revealed himself to him? Who are you? What do I got to do? Once you've made that decision about who Jesus is and you put your faith in him, bingo, check the box. Unfortunately, that's the only box that most Christians have checked in my lifetime. They don't say, what do you want me to do after that? And if they do, it's because they think they're still trying to check the first box. Paul got it right. I think if you look at it this way, they ask, "What can you, what God, what can you do for me?" Instead of, "What can I do for you?" That's John F. Kennedy. Those, 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 <laughs> yeah, but those are those believers who aren't putting out their faith. They're wanting God to always do something for them. Thank you. You're exactly they're, right. They're not thinking the way that Paul's thinking. They're not, and and I and I I don't think they did in his day either. Because in, in Romans 12, he literally begs them, I urge you by the mercies of God to offer your bodies as a whole, living and holy sacrifice. 
He's still begging people to do it. They don't get it. They're saying, what can you do? He says it's only logical. Based on what Christ has done for us, it's only logical that we offer our lives back into service to him. I think you I think you hit the nail on the head. Paul, and something else I want to emphasize is how big of a deal this was for him. This would be the equivalent to just say a doctor. Or let's say you got this kid who wants to be a doctor. And he knows from from childhood what it's going to take. So he applies himself. In an elementary school, he busts his tail to get straight A's. Gets into the best college. Gets into an Ivy League school. Busts his tail so that he can do that. So that he can get to a great medical school. Gets into a great medical school. Gets there. He's on his way. Up and coming. He's published. He's writing articles. He's doing research. People love this guy. Then something happens. And he says, I'm not going to do that anymore. Because it's not right. I'm going to go do this. It's the same thing for Paul. We're going to see in chapter 3. He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Dad is actually talking about the faithfulness of his parents. He's basically flexing on them and saying, it's not just me. My parents were good too. Circumcised the eighth day. As of the nation of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, I know my tribe. I'm first king. First, first Saul, king. yeah. He's not a Hebrew of Hebrews. He says, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. I had the knowledge. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness, which is found in the law, I was found blameless. That's all powerful, important stuff, but the next statement's the most powerful. He goes, but I consider that all loss for the sake of knowing Jesus. He did an about face, 180 degree turn, and went with as much passion for Jesus as he had against him. He knew his purpose. And because he knew his purpose, his, his mindset and his perspective was on point. I saw that when I printed this out, I forgot to take those blanks out. So congratulations, you got three freebies. <laughs> but what does Paul do while he's under house arrest? He teaches Jewish leaders and the Praetorian guards and others. So he teaches. And that's important because he had all that knowledge anyway. So now he's teaching it. We see that he writes Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And then he prays for the churches. You can't read any of his intros to any of his books without him praying for somebody. He's always praying for them. That's, by the way, uh, teaching is the only spiritual gift on this list. And you don't have to have the spiritual gift of teaching to teach. You guys have kids you're supposed to teach. You have family members, grandkids, whoever. These three things are all stuff that we can do. And sometimes I get, I love getting letters from people. And I have some people in my life, they don't do it consistently, but at least a couple of times a year I get letters of encouragement from them. That can go a long way when you write a handwritten letter to somebody. Every time JB, he says this two or three times a year, he'll say from the pulpit, you should write whoever led you to Christ and tell them thank you. Or for somebody who's investing in you, and I always write him. <laughs> because, because his teaching changed my life. That's important for people to see that because they need encouragement. And so that's what I'd say to you is write to people. For people who are investing in you or pouring into you or that led you to Christ or that helped you see things you know, more, more clearly, write to them and tell them. 
Praying, that's something that's easy. Is there blessing in prayer, by the way? Yes. There is. I love that verse that says, go into your inner room and pray. Because if you do, there's blessing. If you're doing it where no one else can see, you're doing it in privacy, and it's just you and God, and you're in your face before Him. It's pretty cool. John 15, 7 says, if, you, if I abide in you, or you abide in me, and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, abiding means that you understand God's will, and then it aligns with God's word, but it's still powerful. It's still powerful. So why does Paul do these things? He does it because he recognizes his purpose. He recognizes his purpose, and he's faithful to carry it out regardless of the circumstances. It's one thing to know it. It's one thing to have the head knowledge. It's one thing to have the ability to put it together, you know, to organize it in your mind, to teach it to others. But what good is it if you don't apply it? The goal of all knowledge is application. Having it in your head is worthless if you don't do anything with it. And that's why I put, it's one thing to recognize your purpose. It's another thing to be faithful to carry it out. Because I think there's a lot of people who, mm, I recognize it, I acknowledge it, I realize it, but, and they don't put it into practice. So Paul realizes and understands both that God works all things out. Jesus directly commissioned Paul to carry out a specific purpose, and Paul doesn't let his circumstances block or cloud his perspective. And really, regardless of what it means for himself or his com- his comfort, that's something that should go on here. Why don't people do it? I would put this and this together. Worries of this world. What is our world? What is our world worried? World worried about money, provision, sex, comfort. All of those things are the worries of this world that we chase and we strive after. That really don't do anything. Doesn't matter. It was uncomfortable for Paul to do a lot of what he did, but he did it. He has comfort and he has peace because God knows he knows that God's with him. And I put this here and I believe this to be true. God's recipe for the spread of the gospel calls only for the faithfulness of believers to take the message in word or action. He supplies the rest. Is it more than that? You tell me, because I don't think so. And if, I, if I'm wrong, I need to know. But I think all that God wants for the spread of the gospel is for our actions to meet our words and then to go out into society and give it out. It's, it, it's really that simple. I remember I was sitting right where Ann's sitting yeah. on a Thursday morning in a U-shape and J.B. was talking about discipleship and he was talking about purpose, plan, and process. And he was talking about going around the room saying, Basically, who are you discipling? What are you doing? What do you got going on? And he would do that once every two months or so, and nobody would answer. And over a few years, I just got sick of him asking. 
and me not having an answer. So I thought, I gotta start. I gotta try it. I gotta do something. So at work, you know, I started listening because being in the student union, we are interconnected with the 485 student groups on campus, and a lot of times they're faith-based groups. So there's lots of conversations that happen, and I got to the habit where anytime somebody mentioned God, faith, religion, church, boom, I'm up out of my desk, and I'm inserting myself into that conversation, trying to get a conversation going. And I've kept that going. And it's, and it's had a lot of good fruit. Um, but the emphasis on that is me just getting off my butt and doing it. Because I got sick of doing nothing. Daniel was part of a group that one Saturday, and it was the exact same time, and we put a little group of guys together called Servants and Stewards, and we just went to 412 together. And I was expecting nobody to say yes. But we probably had 12 guys, 12 or 13, Garrett and I, and Daniel and a few other men from the church got together, and. We just, I said, like, I don't know how to teach, so if you guys would be my guinea pigs, I'm going to start teaching. <laughs> and then Garrett and I would alternate teaching um, because I didn't know how to do it. So whoever said lack of training, you, you got to start somewhere. And guess what? I've said a lot of wrong things along the way. I haven't done things perfect along the way. There's been people that I've failed. There's been groups that I haven't finished. I've been eight lessons into 412 with my older brother for a year now. But I'm trying. And guess what? God's going to bless that effort because he wants the message to perpetuate. And I promise you that if I can do it, then you can do it. All it takes is a little bit of effort. I believe this. God's recipe for the spread of the gospel message calls only for the faithfulness, even if it's not a lot of faithfulness of believers to take the message in word and action, and he supplies the rest. Okay, let's talk about Paul being unhindered. He says, So that my imprisonment and the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. This is a little verse, but a couple of things jump out. One is the verbiage that he uses about his imprisonment. If you have an NASB, he's, the words in the cause of aren't there. He says that, it's probably in italics in ASB. It just says, so that my imprisonment in Christ. That's a play on words. He's in prison in Christ. He's saying, I'm not, I'm not imprisoned by the Romans. I'm not chained here by a matter of their will. I'm chained to Christ because of his will. Because that's the purpose of my life. He started out this letter by calling himself what? Bond a bond servant. He's like, I'm already doing the will of the master. It doesn't matter if I'm enchained by the prison, by the Romans. I'm still going to give out the word. I'm still going to write letters. I'm still going to pray. Paul had a stable and appropriate perspective about his circumstances. And it was important that the Philippians understand things in the same light as he is. He. He's already said that, look, things are actually working out better than before, and I'm not a prisoner of the Romans. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He says that it's not only okay that he's here in prison, but it's actually beneficial because it aligns with God's will. Look at what Luke writes here in Acts. We've already seen it, but when we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. 
I jumped ahead already and talked about this for already, but um, in Ephesians, anybody know what is in Ephesians 6? Famous passage. Finally, be put on the full armor of God. Don't you think that he is, he's right, because he writes Ephesians in prison, don't you think he's looking at that guy? As he's right, as he's looking at them and he's chained to them and he's saying, put on the breastplate of righteousness, take up the shield of faith. And he's writing these allegories as he pins this stuff. That's pretty cool. And then, of course, I put here that he stayed two years in his own rented quarters, welcoming all who came to him preaching. What is he preaching? About God and about Jesus. But yeah, about, about the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? I'll tell you that Paul is not just telling you about how to have faith in Christ. I think he's saying, put your faith in Jesus who's the Messiah, and then you get to be a part of the kingdom. What all does the kingdom entail? Who's going to be in the kingdom? Christian, and we're all going to be the same, right? No. no. I think Paul's saying, I think he's appealing to them and saying, trust me, this is going to be a cool deal and you're going to be a part of it. And it's going to be best for you if you don't only believe in Jesus as Messiah, but that you put that belief into action and go perpetuate this message so that you can reign with him. We're, the last thing that we're going to talk about is rewards, but let's go into courage. Oh, because Paul recognized God's sovereignty, the spread of the gospel was even greater. I think that because Paul believed and knew what was taught, that he stayed faithful to his purpose, and he understood God's sovereignty. I don't think he was worried about it because he knew the Lord was in control. And I think he takes his own advice. Also in Ephesians 5, he says... Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He's taking his own advice here. He's making the most of his time. Because he doesn't want to be foolish and waste it, because he knows what the will of the Lord is for him and for us. It's to put it into action, to serve and to participate. Courage and fear. You guys all said, we would all agree, this is a big reason the Christians don't put it into action. Matter of fact, during this time, people were getting thrown into prison because of it. In a couple of years, the great persecution under Nero is about to happen. They had a little bit more to be afraid of than us, but we still don't do it. Or, I say we, I mean Christianity at large. So how could these people have the courage to speak the word of God without fear? And why don't we always have that and had courage. And I can't speak for you directly, but I can speak for me. And all of these things matter. Because when things get tough, or I get lazy, that's a big one for me, it's just laziness. Or impatient. I don't like waiting on God a lot of times. I'm just like, you're God, you can do it, just do it already. Or I get uncomfortable. Sometimes I get uncomfortable. For the first 25 years of my life, I struggled with the idea of eternity, that there is no end, that made me uncomfortable. Um, sometimes I start to compare myself to others, which steals my joy. And then I start questioning God. 
or I don't even acknowledge him on what I'm doing, that's for me. That's what a lot of that stuff is. But in part, when that happens, it's because we don't know or we don't recall our purpose in Jesus Christ. We don't recognize God's sovereignty. And we don't reflect on God's promises. And these are the building blocks to having the appropriate perspective. When you know and understand your purpose and you think about it, when you recognize God's sovereignty, when you trust Him that He's in control no matter what's going on, when you reflect on the promises that He's made you, which we're about to see, what are some of these promises? He'll never desert us, or leave us, if you want to say that, or forsake us. He's our helper. We don't have to be afraid. That's supposed to be comforting. He'll never desert us, nor forsake us. He's our helper. We don't need to be afraid. I'll never leave you nor desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? And you say, Well, they could kill you. And Paul's going to say, In two weeks, I don't care. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So go for it. It's harder for us. <laughs> harder for us. He didn't have kids. He's always, he's with us always. In the Great Commission, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He's always with you. Psalms 1830, I love all of the comforting ones. Psalms 1830 says that he's a shield to all who take refuge in him. He's a shield to all who take refuge in him. What's the application on that verse? Take refuge in him. Pretty self-explanatory. So is there so are these next set of blanks. How do believers respond in moments or when they have opportunities to share the gospel? Some respond with faith and courage. Most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some respond in faith and courage. However, some respond in rebellion and fear. What do you do with fear? It's tough. Fear's powerful. And you know what? Who created fear, by the way? Satan. God created fear. Why did God create fear? Motivation. Indeed. What about fear protection? There's a healthy side of fear. And when appropriate, you should let it do its thing. Some people need more of it. Others need less. Yeah. My children need more of it. Yes. Are we supposed to have a healthy fear and respect of God? Yes. Yes, we are. There's a healthy and an unhealthy fear. There's a rational and an irrational fear. Fear, even rational. Fear of things can help us to turn and trust in 
God. I mean, there's there's one benefit of fear is it can move us towards God and trust to rely on Him. Amen. It's true in my life. I think sometimes that's part of the chastening that we get in discipline. And in some cases, God literally scares the hell out of people. <laughs> he scares them. I mean, when I was a child, I didn't want to go to hell. I was scared to go to hell. And that's okay. Isn't no, it? Why would you not be? <laughs> it wouldn't really <laughs> make sense if you... It's hard to serve in love when you're afraid, though. Yeah, so when we're talking about service, that's different. Unless you you have a fear of losing rewards. But shouldn't your motivation be to, to serve? I mean, it's good to recognize the rewards, but shouldn't that be your motivation? That's a million dollar question. Reward can be your, its own motivation. It can be. It all goes together. It all goes together. What does Paul say? Run the race so that you win the prize do you not know that all who run in the race all run but only one receives the prize therefore run in such a way that you may win we're going to see later in this book he says I press on towards the goal for the upward call he's going to run the race and try to win the prize look at this verse in Hebrews he says remember the former days when after being enlightened you endured a great conflict of suffering partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations and partly by becoming sharers of those who were so treated for you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one that's inheritance of the kingdom Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great what? Reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. He promises us rewards. That's pretty cool. That's okay to want them. You should do it out of love. You should 100% serve out of love for what Christ has done for you. But it's okay to know that there's rewards, because Paul told me that it's okay. We see these verses in Isaiah in the back. For yet in a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. He wants us to be bold. In those moments, he wants us to not be timid. Because when we shrink back from those opportunities, there's no reward in that. So remember God's promises and be of good courage. Live by faith. And remember, it's not what happens to us in this life that ultimately matters, but it's how we respond. And so the question for you then becomes, will you respond with faith and courage and rebellion and fear? And that question is for me, not just you. Okay. Remember my Clint Eastwood story. Paul remembered what is at the end of the line. He often had the judgment seat of Christ in mind when he wrote, and it motivated him to endure through suffering and trial. So remember what's at the end of the line. We're going to see in chapters 2, 3, and 4, as we do throughout a lot of his epistles, that Paul eagerly ran for the finish line so that he could earn his reward. Paul knows that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ for rewards. rewards. He had already made an allusion 
to Christ Jesus, the day of Christ Jesus in verse 6, but now he's turning to his labor and its effects. His imprisonment has turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. He knows that it's spreading because of the circumstances that the Lord's placed him in and because of his faithfulness to participate. We're going to see later, I told you last week that at the end of this lesson, or not this lesson, but this series, you're going to be able to go to all the places in Scripture that talk about rewards. Today we're starting that. Because Paul sees the Philippian people as his fruitful labor. He says, if I'm to live on in the flesh, this is going to mean fruitful labor for me. He's talking about them. We're going to see it in a couple weeks. But they're his labor. He knows that if they're faithful to do what he's teaching them and live it out, that he's going to receive the glory. In the verse where he says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you'll prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom we appear in lights of the world, holding fast the word of life. Why? So that in the day of Christ... I'll have reason to glory because I didn't run in vain nor toil in vain. He's saying, you do these things that I'm telling you to do, and please do them, by the way, because if you do, I'm going to get glorified. I'm going to receive glory at the day of Christ. It's the same thing for us. When we're effective in our message and we motivate and encourage one another on to love and good deeds, and that has its part to play in the furtherance of the gospel, we're going to get glorified at the day of Christ. Look at this one because it's going to be on the test next week. What is your fruitful labor? What will bring you glory the day of Christ? There's this great argument going on in Corinth. People are saying, I'm from I'm for Paul. I like what he says. And people say, no, 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 I'm from Apollos. I like what he says. And then the super spiritual say, no, you guys are both wrong. I'm for Jesus. And Paul basically says, it doesn't matter. We're all just building on the same foundation, which is Jesus. According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master, I laid a foundation. And another's building on it. That's Apollos. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. Because no one can lay a foundation on the one which is laid, which is Jesus. Now, to the point of the matter. If any builds on the foundation with gold, that's good works. Silver, that's good works. Precious stones, good works. And then here's some worthless works. Bad works. Wood, hay, straw. Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it's to be revealed with what? Fire's going to test it. That's not hell. That's just testing. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. And guess what? If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he'll receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he's going to suffer a loss. A loss of what? He's loss of rewards. But he himself will be saved, just so that there's no confusion. Yet as so is through fire. That's your memory verse. That's one of the verses. Is verse 14. So look at it. It's a short and easy one. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he'll receive a reward. Summary, Paul's mission was to take the gospel message throughout the world. In what we would call a difficult circumstance, Paul was in prison, but he remained faithful to his mission. Because of his faithfulness, the spread of the gospel was even greater. Paul's faithfulness encouraged new believers to speak the word of God without fear. So if Paul understood those things, then we should... That's recognize, reflect, recall, and remember. Those last, do you have four blanks? Turn the page on the very back right page. Yeah. I skipped ahead because we're out of time. Recognize, reflect, recall, and remember. Recognize our purpose. Reflect on God's sovereignty. Recall God's promises. And remember what's at the finish line. Quit your belly aching and remember what's at the end of the line. You guys got to go watch Kelly's Heroes.
All right, you can look at the test. It's pretty easy, pretty easy, but let's pray. Thanks again for joining us for True to the Bible podcast with Hunter Davis. If you enjoyed this lesson, make sure you subscribe so you can hear the rest of the lessons on True to the Bible podcast. And if you have any questions regarding this lesson or any of the other lessons, make sure you contact us at hunter.davis at stillwaterbible.org. Thanks again for joining us.